Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am once again your host, Tyler Metcalf. This week I wanted to talk about the development curve of point guards and how the term is thrown around. Drafting a rookie point guard is always an exciting adventure. The difficult pill to swallow is that not every player is going to transition smoothly to the NBA game. It requires patience and a lot of growing pains. Although there's been players like Damian Lillard and John Morant who have hit the ground running in their rookie years, there's also been a rich history of generals who have needed time to let their game slow down. Once that happens, the confidence and talent start to come out like an avalanche sprinting down a mountain. Every year is going to feature a new crop of ball handlers who will be considered the next wave of stars in NBA backcourts. It takes time for a young talent to find consistency at one of the most difficult positions in the game of basketball. But once that confidence rises to the surface and starts the jump, there's nothing more beautiful to watch. Let's get to it. So it felt wrong to not bring on the author who inspired this week's topic. So it is with reluctance that I welcome back Tyler Rucker and his incessant antics about my ceiling fan, which you may have noticed is now off. <laughs> Tyler, how are you? I'm better now that the fan's not involved in this podcast. I feel like I did like way too much conversation with the fan last time. So no ceilings. We had a fan, though, on the ceiling last time, so we had to get rid of that. It, it, it's been removed for character issues. Uh, I, I'm also joined this week uh, by another No Ceilings family member who, despite us talking a ton of basketball, uh, I've never actually recorded with, Nathan Grubel, also known as Draft Deeper. Really, really looking forward to this. Nathan, how's it going? Yeah, yeah. Cl- close that mouth of yours, Tyler. It is wow, first time? time? Amazing. Yeah. I know. I didn't yeah. know this. I know. I, I had to go get my own podcast just to talk to Nathan about basketball. He he, he keeps dodging me. No, 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 no. Your schedule is <laughs> always too busy for mine, my friend. I, I mean, you, you need to be a guest on Draft Deeper. And we'll make, now that we're all in one family, you can't escape me either. So, we'll so yeah, I just keep conning my way into new projects. It's it's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Uh, so, so what sparked this week's topic for me was essentially the perfect storm. I've been getting increasingly annoyed with people tossing around the term bust after only five games. Then Rucker writes this brilliant piece on no ceilings about the slow development curve of point guards. And then Cade Cunningham almost immediately gifts us with his best professional game. So I want to start with some young NBA guards at the top and how their slow starts are being perceived. If we're worried, what we like, what we don't like it, so on and so forth before pivoting to a few of my favorite point guard prospects in this year's draft who may end up facing similar criticism. So based on how this season is going, I figure, and based on what Rucker wrote, it made the most sense to start off with Cade Cunningham, who got off to a slow start, was injured for the first couple of games, struggled to find his footing at first, but over his last six games, Cade Cunningham is shooting 42% from the floor, 36% from three, Five and a half rebounds, 4.3 assists, 16.2 points. It really seems like he's turning the corner. The, his defense looks meaningful and impactful. So, Tyler, what have you seen from Cade? How annoying is the bust 
label being thrown on him this early to you and how are you concerned at all by his slow start? Yeah, no, I mean, the bust label always drives me a little crazy. And I think, you know, me and Nathan, we talk a lot on Mondays on draft deeper. We talk about, Mm -hmm. it's so early. You can't just throw guys under the bus and give this bust factor or tag out so early in the year. I mean, what are we 15 games into the season? So we got a long way to go. And what I kind of talked about in that article was how the point guard position is one of the most difficult positions to transition to for young guards. You know, everything's getting sped up to high speeds. Um, And with Cade, the three of us saw how good Cade was at college, you know, and not just us, everyone evaluating prospects. So I thought it was going to take some time for Cade to kind of find his groove because, you know, played a little in summer league. He showed some flashes. Then he gets banged up in training camp, misses all of that, misses all of preseason. Those are important games if you're a rookie point guard trying to kind of get your feet wet. So then he gets kind of thrown into the fire in the middle of the year, has a rough couple games. Everyone's like, wait, this guy's the number one pick. Isn't he supposed to be a star? And it's like, no, this is a tough position. Like the game's super fast. He's trying to adjust. He knows he's the number one pick and he's playing catch up. So I wasn't too worried about Cade. I thought it's just going to take some time. I still think he might find his groove later down the road, his rookie year, where things kind of start to slow down. But he's shown flashes in his last couple of games. And, you know, I'm not going to take credit that Cade's performance is from my article. But, you know, if someone wants to point it at me, I will. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, Cade's going to be fine. I'm not worried about him at all. Um I, I mean, what are you guys thinking? Do you, are you kind of thinking this is exactly the course that he's on so far? I, what's impressed me the most and something I thought he would eventually be great at, but I thought it would be a little rockier of a road is thought he was a really smart and strong team defender. And I, his block rate, his steal rate, the team's defensive rating is four and a half points better with him on the court versus off the court. So the speed at which that's developed and kind of made an impact, I think is really encouraging. And something else was just his acceptance of this new role where he's playing way off ball and the offense is for some reason running a ton through Killian Hayes. I I don't think that's best for Cade or the team long-term, but I kind of get why they're doing it. Nathan, how, how how have you seen Cade over this past week or two compared to when he first stepped on an NBA court and your expectation level for him? So thankfully, one of the reasons why I wanted to come on this podcast was because I also quite literally just got done recording a rookie reactions pod or some top guys less than two hours ago. So That's why we love all, them, folks. That's why we love them. <laughs> it all just coincides all into one. And, and naturally, I wanted to lead off that episode with Mr. Cade Cunningham. And to your point, Metcalf, the Pistons have done a much better job over the last few games of starting to put the ball in Cade Cunningham's hands more and taking it out of Killian Hayes' hands because Killian Hayes, man, he is he is not an NBA point guard right now. He does not make good decisions with the ball. He settles for all of these ridiculously tough step-back shots. He finds himself not getting all the way to the rim to really take advantage of driving kick offense. Meanwhile, Cade, when you put the ball in Cade's hands, he does do those things. He is able to get all the way to the rim. He is a craftier ball handler. His knowledge of how to navigate 
pick and roll reads is absolutely advanced. And then you throw in the jump shot ability that you go back to college. That's the biggest thing we had the question about was how high level of a shot maker is he? And he answered almost all of those questions while I was at Oklahoma state took and made a lot of big shots down the stretches of games. And now the three point shot is arguably his best strength coming into the NBA outside of some of the defensive stuff that you hit on Metcalf. So it's, his development has been really fascinating to watch. My biggest concern with Cade from preseason through to till now is his body and his lack of strength, his lack of bulk. I think once he physically matures, the game is just going to become even easier for him. It already is easy to him on some levels, but the difficulties come from him not being able to finish at size when he does get switched onto bigger matchups on defense guys can bruise him up a little bit one-on-one he does not fight through screens well at all he gets lost fighting through screens or he simply just can't fight through them right now those are all issues that once he does get stronger once he throws on another 10 15 pounds of muscle those things i think pretty much are going to go away for him because of his advanced iq and that was really the selling point for him coming out of college was just how smart he is and everything he can do on both ends of the floor with his mind alone so yeah kate Cade's going to be just fine. All these people who are so concerned about him, they can pipe down just just a little bit, just a little bit. I, I think that point about his body still needing to mature is really important, and it's it reflects in his at-rim shooting percentage, which is only 48%, which is in the 14th percentile of wings, which is such a deviation from what we saw last year where he was just so much bigger than everyone else especially at the point guard position. And he's been that way his entire career, basically. So do you have any concerns that that prolonged development of his body or just adapting to the difference in NBA size and athleticism? Because he's never been the most athletic guy either. Do you have any concerns that that will really limit his at-rim scoring potential? And I mean, we kind of saw a similar thing with Anthony Edwards last last season where Edwards got off to just a brutal start with his at-room finishing and then almost mid-year just flipped a switch. I mean, I'm not concerned at all. I actually, so people want to question his athleticism and say that like, he's not, he doesn't have this awesome burst. He's not the quickest guy in the court. He's not the most explosive vertical athlete. Yeah. He's probably never going to be great in terms of being a vertical athlete. I actually don't think he's that slow. I think he's actually looked pretty fine on both ends of the floor from a speed and from a quickness perspective. So I'm actually not concerned about a lot of that at all. And I'm not concerned about some of this slow start taking away from some of his confidence because he does, he does keep shooting no matter what happens to this guy. He has one of the greenest lights from a personal perspective of any of the guys that we're going to talk about tonight. He just keeps firing away. And now that he's starting to really make, some of those pull-up three-pointers that he was looking for very early on. I think that's bringing defenses out to guard him, and I think that's making his life a lot easier to get a step on somebody. And you see that, yeah, he's not the bulkiest of guys, but when he gets a step on somebody, he is 6'8". He can hold somebody on his hip a little bit, and then you know we, we can start to see some of that mature, and that will only get better in time as well. He's not never going to be as big as somebody like a Luka Doncic, but once he continues to keep adding to that strength base, that's going to be – Part of this, too, is learning some of that mid-range craft, being able to, to craft dribble in the lane a little better and then take advantage of some of those opportunities because he has the vision. He can see 
were to make all those passes, and that's only going to make the Pistons that much better. I'm glad that you brought up Luca's name because he that was a guy that Cade was occasionally comped to coming out. And Luca was one of these point guards in the last couple of years who have just vastly exceeded expectations as a rookie and a young guard. We can throw John Morant into that pool too. And just there, there are a couple others, but historically it's been such a slow developing position because everything changes with the size of the athleticism, the physicality, the speed of play that these outliers are now becoming the expectation. But Tyler, you pointed out in your article that it, that these guys take time. So on the spectrum of Luca jaw developmental speed to like, you noted Gary Payton, where do you kind of see Cade on in that realm? I mean, it's, it's just, that's what I've talked about in the entire article. As you hinted, Ty, is, is just every point guard takes different amount of times. You know, I talked about Gary Payton didn't really take the jump until his fourth year in the league where his stats just exploded. And then I talked about guys like Steve Nash and it just, everything clicks different for point guards. Some guys hit the ground running, you know, you get the job Morants that start going crazy and having high assist numbers right out of the gate as a rookie. Other guys just struggle to get in a group. You know, John Stockton was one of the best point guards of all time. And you go look at his rookie year and you're shocked because he was just low, low production. It took a while to get the groove of everything. So when you're bringing it back to a guy like Cade, you know, Luca, I think is kind of a different story just because he was playing overseas at such a young age. And it's not, you know, not college to the NBA. It was getting production and time since he was 16 in a professional league, you know, that made the transition a little like smoother. But when you talk about a guy like Cade, you know, Nathan brought up a great point that has always been something I've been fascinated about with Cade. Cade at Oklahoma state sort of made guys play his speed. Like he made the game come down to him. He knew he wasn't the quickest or fastest player, but he understood he could use his change of gears and make everyone come down to his speed. And I think that is something with him in the pros because he has that size, because he has that frame and he's still really quick. Like Nathan's talking about, I think once the game slows down and he can make guys come to that speed and body fills out, he understands how to take contact a little bit better. You know, just the small things that's coming with the point guard position. That's when he's going to blossom. Now, I'm not saying it's going to take four years just because I'm talking about Gary Payton, but it could be something where the second half of this year, you start to see the light come on a little bit and then maybe a full off season works on his body. That rookie pressure is a little bit out of the window. And then all of a sudden Cade could really take off. And kind of speaking of needing to wait and maybe need that extra off season and that full season of NBA experience. I want to move on to Jalen Suggs who has gotten off to a much rockier start, but I'm still, I still really high on him, but Suggs is currently averaging just 11 and a half points per game, shooting 32% from the floor, 23 and a half percent from three. It's not been good. His I mean, He's in the 14th percentile of at rim scoring, third percentile of three-point shooting. Are you guys 
significantly worried about Jalen because when he entered the scene at Gonzaga, he hit the ground running and was incredible and dynamic on both ends of the floor. So this is a much bigger jump in, I guess, his learning curve. And the results have been really drastically different. Well, we should probably throw the same disclaimer that I threw on my episode when we're talking about some of these numbers that I, I, I look at them, right? You kind of have to. You can't do mm-hmm. a podcast or something like what we're doing without talking about where they're at, some of the percentiles already. It's important. But you also have to say that, well, none of these numbers are going to look good for any rookie, right? Like these guys mm-hmm. are not – like most rookies' synergy percentiles are sitting anywhere between 25 to 45% for the majority of these categories we're talking about, which by synergy standards is average to below average. That's perfectly fine. Um, it's it's important to note the outliers in both directions. So it's important to note where a prospect is under that 25th percentile, but where they're over that 45th. And in some of these rookies cases, I mean, Jalen Suggs, for example, I think he's in like the 83rd percentile or something like that defensively. Like when you find these outliers that are like 70th or above, you really need to call those out and, and make sure that we're highlighting those things for these guys because it's so difficult for any rookie to come in and hit in the 70th percentile or above in any major statistical category that we're talking about. So that that's the disclaimer that we have to give when we talk about some of those numbers. But in Suggs' case, he has gotten off to a pretty rocky start, but I think that team overall took a little bit to try and at least attempt to find some of their offensive identity they really wanted to put the ball in Jalen Suggs' hands to see what he could do from a pick-and-roll playmaker perspective very early on. Cole Anthony's now taking a jump. Cole Anthony's success has definitely helped out Jalen Suggs a little bit in terms of just letting Suggs try and figure out just how to navigate the court without the basketball, figure out how he needs to space space the floor, look for open jump shots, look for other opportunities off the ball, and then when he does have the ball in his hands, just make sure he's continuing to push the pace and attack and get downhill and do a lot of the things that he did look to do at Gonzaga to sort of help himself out a little bit. Now, there are still some issues. His free throw rate is actually down in the NBA from what it was at Gonzaga. That, to me, is definitely something that strikes me as, okay, how is this not getting at least a little bit better? How did you not look to at least prioritize this a little bit in the offseason coming into your first season in the NBA? And then on the defensive side, he is still fouling at basically the same rate. So that's the other thing. When you're playing that aggressive of defense and you let that kind of sink into your game, you're fouling too often, you're getting put on the bench because you can't get back on the court. Well, how are you developing your offensive game if you're just sitting on the bench kind of letting that run away too? So with Jalen Suggs, I think it's more of he wasn't ready quite yet to embrace the full-time responsibilities of an NBA point guard. And he also hasn't put himself in a position to better improve those things at the NBA level if he didn't even take care of some of the flaws or at least try to take care of some of the flaws that we initially had with him in college. And you you make really good points there. And I I really do agree with the disclaimer on percentiles and all that because a week can drastically skew these things. But when I look at it for a rookie, it's more so just, are they kind of in the general ballpark of where I thought they would be, or yep. are these things drastically changing? And you, you mentioned Jalen Suggs' defense, and, and I, I don't expect this to continue year long, like everything. It will kind of revert back to the mean sum, but the Orlando Magic's defensive rating is 15 and a half points 
lower when Jalen Suggs is on the court versus off, which is in the 96th percentile, which I think most of us expected him to be that really good defensive guard, but the offensive end just hasn't come. And I think a lot of the struggles with really anticipating and projecting Suggs's continued development is the construction of this roster because Cole Anthony has taken a massive leap in his offensive abilities. Markel Fultz hasn't returned yet, but he's known as that defensive specialist. Once Fultz does return, Tyler, do you see any issues with Suggs continuing to get that development on court, those on court reps, or do you think that it will provide Suggs a new option where now he can play along Fultz and be that offensive initiator more when Cole's off instead of being the defensive guy when Cole's on. I think it'll, it, it's weird. I think it'll only help. Um, I know a lot of people might not agree when you're putting another guy in the fold, but if anything, you're going to take a little bit of pressure off him. You know, Fultz has kind of been in that position of being a top pick, having all these expectations early on and, sort of not, you know, living up to the immediate hype. And, you know, I, I'm just not worried about Suggs. I, I, Nathan and I have talked about this. You have extreme athleticism your entire life, including college. He was just a blur in the open court. Like, guys were struggling to keep up with him. And now you're getting to a more level playing field, which means you have to not rely on that athleticism. You have to figure out how to beat guys when they're matching your, you know, quickness and just keeping up with you because these are, these are the NBA players. They're the best defenders in the world. No, no disrespect to the EuroLeague, but I'm just not that worried yet because I think it's going to take time. And, you know, if, if magic fans are listening to this and they're worried, let's look right at Cole Anthony. You know, he just had around 12 points a game as a rookie and now he's almost around 20. So there was a jump that we weren't considering that big of a jump. It just might take some time with sucks. He's going to need reps. He's going to need things to kind of slow down. Um, I thought he'd be a little bit better defensively early on, but he's, you know, it's like we said before, like me and Nathan, I I hate to keep bringing it up, but we've talked about, you know, now you can't gamble as much. Now you have to Mm -hmm. play team defense rotations are quicker you know the playbook offensively is going to be bigger you know I think just with young point guards they often come in and try to do too much too quick and when they can't do too much too quick then all of a sudden they're panicking because they're like okay well I'm not producing at an effective level so I just think you just needs to build some confidence and maybe Fultz coming back kind of lowering the pressure can do that for him but it's just a long road ahead and history has shown us anything you just gotta you gotta wait and have some time so i mean playmaking gripes aside i also think this conversation would be a lot more different if Suggs, some of Suggs' shots were actually falling and i don't mm-hmm. think he's actually i don't think he's actually being over aggressive when it comes to his perimeter shooting i think he's actually taking a lot of good looks they just aren't going in and that was the same thing for cole anthony last year like cole anthony actually offensively did multiple things a lot better than I thought he would initially coming into the NBA. Like he was mm-hmm. really starting to develop some good pick and roll chemistry with guys. He was getting his passing timing down in, in other areas of the floor, but it's just it, these jump shots that he would take, they just wouldn't go in. Like his form looked fine. He was just missing a lot of wide open jump shots. And now this year, guess what? His shot selection looks virtually the same as to what it did last year. 
the shots are just going in. And every everybody's not criticizing him as heavily anymore by saying he's this he's this chucker, or he's shooting too much, or blah, blah, blah. Like the criticisms are going away. So I think if some of these jump shots start falling for subs in the second half of the year, I think some of the buzz talk will will definitely waver a little bit. I have one more thing I was gonna bridge and sorry, Ty, because Nathan no, brings up a great point. I went to Summer League and watching those magic games, I was so I was just like really excited about Suggs and I kept what I don't know if any of you guys felt the I, same I was horrified by Cole Anthony. Like, I was I horrified. I was like, oh <laughs> man, he looks like he's going to have a rough year. Like, oh, but the, the Suggs pick just completely ruined his confidence. The, the, the thing that stood out to me the most with that is that, you know, like when guys start doing well in summer league, they'll pull him out to give him rest or whatever. Like they'll shut him down. They shut down RJ Hampton before they shut down Cole Anthony. So I was like, dude, yeah. You you better you better you better pick your shit up or else like this is not gonna end well for you in Orlando. But, but then he gets in the season and he looks completely different. So yep. I was like, what's going on? Am I in a twilight zone? Because I'm telling you, that was the one thing I I didn't tell anyone, but I left summer league just horrified about Cole Anthony, and now he looks like what we thought he could become, and he just has been playing fantastic. So <laughs> I'm not worried about Suggs, but. Um, if the, if, the, if the Cole Anthony terif- terrifying uh, experience in Summer League shows you anything, it, it just clicks randomly. And I, I feel like a guy that we've – it feels like we've been waiting a lot longer than it actually has been for it to click is Darius Garland. And it seems like every offseason he's one of these guys who – we hear all the NBA veterans hype up and, oh, no, he's the next guy. He's going to be awesome. He's going to be an all-star. Just wait. He's so skilled, yada, yada, yada. And it's just been kind of a steady improvement for him. And I feel like a lot of what he does gets outshined because of I don't think he's with the ideal backcourt pairing with Colin Sexton. And then all of the attention in Cleveland went to the weird roster construction with their triple towers essentially but garland continues to impress me at this slow steady rate his shooting percentages are essentially up across the board he's scoring a little over 17 points per game six and a half assists with only three and a half turnovers so i had about a two to one turn assist to turnover ratio do you Tyler, do you think that he's going to just kind of keep this steady climb, or do you think we're on the verge of really seeing the Darius Garland breakout that all these NBA veterans keep promising us? It's It seems, you know, all of us have been so excited with Garland just each year. We just keep, like, getting hyped up because you see the tools. You see how impressive he could be. He can take over games when he's rolling. I was one of those guys that I thought they needed to give the Sexton Garling pairing a little bit more time this year. That's probably one thing I'm going to watch the most when the deadline comes. Are they going to stick to their guns and try to figure this out? Are they going to try to be like, okay, it's time to hand the keys over to Garland and get something for Sexton while we still can. I, I just think they're at a position now that they got to make a decision which way they're going to go. Because maybe if you move Sexton, it unlocks Garland to take that next step, that big jump we're waiting for. Because it's like you're saying, it's kind of staying consistent with some good numbers. 
I think we're just waiting for that next step. Like, can he, can he unlock another level? And I think if you kind of give him the, the reins, pairing him with Mobley, kind of make it his team, that could just, you know, make him this type of player that we're all hoping he can turn into. But I, I definitely believe in the talent. I've been a believer. I thought last year he was going to be one of those top sophomore breakout candidates. This year he's kind of staying right at the course. I just keep waiting for that next step. Nathan, where, where are you at with Garland? Because I, I feel like so much of the NBA now is going towards these larger point guards, these larger primary initiators, and Garland's just six one one ninety, and it's almost entirely skill focused. So I, I know the Cavs have a ton of size everywhere else throughout the roster. And their, their small forward is seven feet tall for God's sake. And so do, do you think that they can kind of compensate for Garland's lack of size in that area? Or do you think that he can just be a legitimate franchise point guard with his skill set overcoming what his size limits him? I have so many thoughts to unpack that I thought of while I was just sitting here. And now I have to like go re go back through and like actually go through every one. Um, first off, when you talk about point guard size, you're talking about, you're talking to the dude who conducted the Cole Anthony first overall train like two years ago. So I have absolutely no fear with sticking up for small point guards. That That's first off. Second off, I'm surprised to hear you guys actually say that you don't think Garland has taken the leap because I flip on the film. I 110% think he's taken the leap. You watch this guy. This Cavs team wouldn't be anywhere close to what they are right now if they didn't have the Darius Garland that's playing for them right oh, now. Oh, for I sure. I agree with that. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying that. I'm just saying statistically. Well, then how can you not have taken yeah. the leap then if he's the Cavs you're, best player? You're a numbers guy. I'm looking at the numbers. He took one leap. He's staying right there. So I'm saying, is he going to get to the, the 20 range? Is he going to get in the 20s? Mm. Maybe not by the numbers, but when you flip on the film, like he absolutely so, so, and it has been a steady climb to your guys' point. It has been a steady climb. Like when he came in and he had some injury issues, not only just out of college, but in his rookie year. But when he first came into the NBA, he wasn't finishing around the basket like he is now. He's a much craftier finisher. He's mm-hmm. figured out how to essentially finish over the trees. And then you throw in some of the pick and roll playmaking and some of the things that he's doing now that he has a legitimate role man in Jared Allen. They went out and got him an actual functioning role man out of pick and roll. So that's definitely helped his development. And then the outside shooting, another guy just like Cole Anthony. Oh, the outside shots are falling the last year and a half with a lot more consistency. That's obviously opened up his game and essentially stretch defenses out to the point where you have to respect him because if you leave him an inch of space, he's going to take it and he's probably going to make it. So it has been a very steady development of a few things. But to your point, Tyler, can they make the small backcourt work? I actually think they can. Mm -hmm. And I think this question can be answered with further development of, I know we're talking about point guards, but if Isaac Okoro becomes a more net positive on offense than what he's been, then all of a sudden you have a front line of Okoro Mobley and Allen that's like even if you have smaller guards out on the perimeter if they can figure out how to essentially funnel in and force the kickouts then you're essentially daring the team to make perimeter shots and you can set up a defensive scheme similar to what the Milwaukee Bucks have done the last like three four years that's pretty much worked to them they all they care about is protecting the paint and forcing the driving kicks and they will dare you to shoot the jump shots they will make you make more jump shots than them 
And so if Garland's hitting outside shots, if Sexton's hitting outside shots, if Okoro becomes a much more reliable outside shooter, we know what Mobley's going to give us now. You can play four round one on offense, and then you have that massive defensive front line that can just be built on protecting the paint. I actually think it all can come together, and that's a big reason why I wanted Mobley to go to the Cavs. thought that he was a big missing ingredient for this team. Okoro could be a missing ingredient, but it does not – fully come together without Garland getting to quite literally wherever he wants to on the floor and just orchestrating that offense to near perfection. Like I would be terrified if I had to guard Darius Garland on an NBA court because he's making passes from all sorts of angles. Like they are not stopping this guy from him getting to wherever he needs to go, which is an improvement to his dribble craft and his handle, by the way, as well. So yeah, this guy's taken a steady rise, but I know Evan Mobley is fantastic, but Darius Garland is the Cavs' best player, and he has taken the leap in my eyes. Yeah, and I, I, I think how you or when you talked about how he can get to any spot on the floor, I think that's really important when we like look back at Jalen Suggs because we can see that the game is slowing down for Garland and that he is really learning how to manipulate his defenders in pretty much whichever way he wants and. I agree that he he's just continuing to improve. I I just want that that jump to All Star level because he he was the number five pick, I believe. I those comes with large expectations when you have Steph Curry hyping you up every off season. You gotta deliver, and I not not to say that he's not. Um, and maybe part of that is just because he is in Cleveland and national love that he probably should be, but. I think if if you're just a casual observer looking at the numbers, you're not going to say the numbers are deserving of an all-star case, but if you actually, which so much of it is, right, exactly. It's a bunch of media guys and we're just, you know, picking who has the best stat lines the majority of the time at these different positions. But if you actually flip on the tape Mm -hmm. and you start looking at some things from a coach's perspective, like I guarantee there are very few coaches in the NBA who don't actually think that Darius Garland is an all-star level point guard right now despite what the stats say so that's that's my opinion on it will he be an all-star this year no he won't be but i think he actually is at that level if you watch the film love it and speaking of small guards who are really skilled and you know initially face that hurdle of adapting to size and physicality and athleticism i want to pivot more towards this year's draft and dive into Kennedy Chandler, who is a guy that I absolutely adore. His shooting is really impressive. I mean, for God's sake, he's shooting 85% from three, but it's been two games, so that's not going to sustain. But You still... can keep it up. Don't, what are you talking about? <laughs> still still shocking when you initially read, read, read his stat line and see that. But he is so damn fast. And really creative out of the pick and roll. I, he's not a great overall playmaker, but he runs a really nice two-man game. What's really surprised me the most about his game is his defense. And his perimeter footwork is really impressive. He's already pretty adept at avoiding screens. And I thought he was just going to get cooked on defense. Now they've played Eastern Tennessee State and Tennessee Martin, I believe. So not the top tier competition. And maybe this all changes once we get into SEC play. But Tyler, what have you liked so far from Chandler? If anything, if not, rip them apart. No, no, no. I'm not going to rip anyone apart. Um, everybody loves everybody, right? right. Yeah, everybody, <laughs> ELE, okay? Um, 
I, I'm like you, Metcalf. I just love him. And getting ready for college basketball to start, I turned on some of his tape, and I was just like, goodness, the speed. But what's kind of stood out to me the most with his small sample is not just the speed, it's it's the control of the speed. You know, he's he looks like a sports car. He's shifting gears. He's playing with some some pace and poise. The shot's been really impressive. You know, he, he's not forcing it. it. It almost seems like he's kind of being like, okay, you're going to give me this. Like, I created some separation, knockdown. Like, just been smooth. Just looks under control to me. He's, you know, because there's one thing when you're watching a prospect that has, you know, this game-changing speed, a lot of times you're going to run into a guy that wants to use it and can get out of control. And not a lot do you find the young point guard that understands I have that extra burst or that extra gear to get by guys, but I also don't need it all the time. I think he's doing a good job setting up his hesitations. I'm not too worried about the size because like Nathan said, I love little point guards. If you can play, you can play. Like if you can get after it and show that you're a two-way potentially player, yes, I'm going to be a buyer. So what I've seen so far, I'm absolutely in love. Like you said, Metcalf, I just need to see it against some stronger competition, but definitely buying so far. Nathan, what are your early season takeaways? Do you have any fears that, the Chandler kind of goes down this maybe like this Kemba Walker route where he gets stuck in a franchise that ha- doesn't put the right pieces around him. And despite really developing, despite a slow start to his career, he turns into this Oscar, but can never really take a team to that next level. That's a concern for any prospect. And sure. I certainly, I certainly hope that doesn't happen. I, I got, I, 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 don't wish that on anybody, but I mean, we just got done talking about how I was raving about some of the pieces that the Cavs surrounded Darius Garland with. I think that that's a great point you bring up, Metcalf. Like the the right pieces need to be around these point guards to take advantage of their strengths. But there are very rarely some exceptions to that rule where a point guard talent is able to elevate everyone else up to their level and turn them into a winner and that that's we're talking like Isaiah Thomas, Chris Paul, like we're talking the rarest among rarest of point guards. And I am not going to sit here and make an egregious comparison for Kennedy Chandler after two games against middling competition. But I get some Chris Paul vibes from, from Chandler when you flip on some of this tape and you actually watch him. Like he is bending defenses to his will he is shooting from God knows where on the court. And because he's making those shots, at least right now, he's confusing defenses to Noah and like, oh my God, like we got to step out there and guard him there or else he's going to cook us. And that just creates so many mismatch problems across the court and so many different conundrums. So what Kennedy Chandler is able to do, same thing with his handle, similar to Garland. He's able to navigate through, navigate through defenses. He's able to navigate, play around screen, snake a ball screen get in the middle of the court and then kind of figure everything else from out else out from there. That's the most important thing to me about point guards nowadays. Do you have that handle and that separation ability to essentially get past the first layer of the defense, get two feet in the paint and then be able to figure everything else from out from there. And then when defenses do collapse into the paint, do you have the vision to see the next play, be able to make the next read and to add the third layer, can you hit an outside shot to just, make the rest of your offense respectable when you don't have the ball in your hands. 
And Chandler checks all three of those boxes through very few games of film so far, but he checks all those boxes for me. And that's why I think he kind of has to be the point guard to monitor going forward. To me, he's the best point guard in this class right now. There is some competition. I am a J.D. Davison guy. I liked what Ty Ty Washington is showing after that first game. So there's some competition. But Chandler, I, I would agree with you guys. He has really impressed me. So, so long-term, once he really starts facing that higher-level competition, like you mentioned, he, he's also number one point guard for me right now. But do you have any major concerns that his defense is, isn't going to hold up against that higher-level competition and athleticism and strength, and he becomes more of a liability because of his size? Or do you think that the footwork and the positioning and awareness and kind of instincts that he's shown so far through their first two games is – maintainable and will carry throughout. I think he's got some good size to him. Um, not, not in terms of height, but in terms of like his build, I think he's got uh, a little bit of meat on the bones, but when we're talking about point guard defense, I'm never expecting a point guard to blow me away defensively. I just want you to set the tone, play as best as you can at the point of attack and just be fighting, right? You're, 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 Never going to win all your battles as a point guard trying to defend, especially in today's NBA when we have these supersized giants handling the ball nowadays. I mean, good God, like even this draft class we're evaluating, like everybody seems like they're 6'8 to 6'10 or 6'11 and they can handle the ball, dribble, pass, and shoot. It's like, what's the game becoming nowadays? Like it's insane. And that's, that's more or less why we're asking these questions about Chandler, like a small point guard trying to, you know, make his bones in a league that's filled with other giants. It's not – not necessarily because there's anything wrong with him or his skill set or how much talent he actually has. It's just everything yeah, else going exactly. on around him. Yeah, but at the same time, what Chandler's showing me on film right now, I think he's definitely going to have some poor shooting performances at some point in the SEC. He'll have those those two for 11, two for 12 stinkers and duds, but he'll have some games where he does come out against good competition and he sets the table well for everybody else, and he balances that with pretty good outside shooting. So – I'm not concerned in the long term. Just be prepared because of his size. The, some coach will figure out how to abuse him at some point in the SEC season, and he'll have that game that pops up on social media. And everyone's like, oh, Kenny Chandler can't do this. And we'll all be like, it's one game, man. Calm down. But, no, I'm awesome. not worried long term. <laughs> Someone I'm also not worried about long term is Jaden Ivey. I'm not sure that he'll actually – qualify as a quote-unquote point guard but I wanted to shoehorn him into this conversation because I I think he he will continue to play a lot of point at Purdue and his numbers continue to be impressive he's a guy that I had a top 20 or top 25 grade on last year and I was really disappointed that he came back to school first I guess Tyler do you actually view him as a point guard long term or do you think he's more of a shooting guard mold who will be essentially forced into a point guard role, even though that's not his primary outcome, kind of like how Devin Booker was in Phoenix and Zach Levine was in Chicago, not saying Ivy will reach those levels of player, but that similar style where they just have all of this creation responsibility thrust upon them. And then their game can eventually take once they actually do get paired with a, a, actual point guard yeah i mean i appreciate you Metcalf, for giving me a really annoying question that i'm now going to think about for the next week so that's great <laughs> um 
No, I, I would. It's just so damn early. Uh, I would probably <laughs> lean towards being more of a two. You know, it's not a bad thing. Is you know, if you're spending most of your time at the point creating and attacking, getting downhill with success at college. I still think you could do that in the NBA, even if you're potentially going from primary creator or ball handler to the off guard, you know, because if you get put next to a guy who can also create, that makes that backcourt a little dangerous. So I think he's more of a two. I've liked what I've seen with his explosiveness and getting downhill. I mean, he can really, you know, he's shifty. He can get to the hoop in a hurry and he's got that extra gear to, you know, attack with bad intentions. So I like what I've seen. I don't know if I'm going to put him as a primary one in the NBA level, but I will be interested to hear what you guys think. Nathan, where are you at with Ivy? Do you, do you view him as an actual point guard or more of just that combo scoring guard in the long run? I don't think he is. I think NBA teams are going to try it because yeah. – the, the ideal roster construction to win a title, at least it's been in my mind, is to have a good to great point guard. You need to have that rock, that rock solid, excellent, awesome wing, and then you need to have a reliable big man. Like these these teams that are built around a dynamic backcourt, but they don't have much else to support that backcourt on the front line, like Portland's been for how many years now? Those teams just don't end up finding championship success. Um, and in Phoenix's case, you have a backcourt that's constructed of a one and a two, but Devin Booker is also six, six who is built pretty well for himself. So if he needs to, you know, take on whatever matchup or, or handle whatever defender on the wing that he needs to, he can do that physically. Ivy, he's like, I don't, I don't know. Ivy's weight off the top of my head. I think he's like six, four though, right? Six, like, four, 195. Yeah. I was going to guess six, four. So I'm glad you brought it so, up. Thank you. So he's not he's not he's a two, but he's not like a big two. Like if he mm-hmm. has to to slide up and face other wing problems, that's not necessarily what you want to ask him to do. So that's kind of why NBA teams will try to funnel him into the one. But you just flip on like the Indiana State game we just played, for example. He was at his best being aggressive, attacking downhill and not having to worry about turning his head either direction and trying to find another guy. Like when when he can get into the paint, figure everything else out later. That's what he's best at doing. He's not hes not a true creator type. Can he, can he make a progression? Can he make a pass off of an easy read? Yes, he can. He's, he's very talented. He's a smart guard. But he's not, he's not that creator type in terms of, I think it's best to saddle him with all that responsibility and then let's kind of see what happens. Like, that's not how you're going to get the best results with Ivy. But that being said, I don't want, I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer Metcalf because I also like him a lot. So, No, I, I think that creation and responsibility and as that primary initiator I, I think it's important to look at and important to acknowledge that it's probably not his best long-term goal or outcome I mean this season I and mean, he has a one-to-one assist to turnover ratio and and that's pretty in line with where it was at last year um obviously on just higher volume besides the playmaking the other gripes I've seen have been the shooting. I'm not a shot doctor, but the form generally looks decent enough to me, but he's still only a 25% career three-point shooter. And then the defense. And do either of you guys have any really meaningful concerns in either of those aspects of his game? I don't. He definitely competes and he fights on defense. So I'm not necessarily fully concerned 
on that front. I mean, you can you you can technically win if you have two like slightly below average to below average defenders in your backcourt, but you have enough pieces on the front line to make everything else work. Kind of like the Cavs construction that I just talked about, for example, earlier in the show. Um, the shot, the shot worries me a little bit. It's it it's not it's not broken, but it's a little slow. And he definitely needs to gather himself, and he definitely needs an extra second to get the shot off properly. Like when he has, it, it's funny. He's one of those guys. If you give him too much time, then he's thinking about it too much, and then he's probably going to miss it. If you're closing out contestant all over him and you don't give him anywhere to, to operate or breathe, then, you know, that's probably not how you want him shooting either because that's going to change up his mechanics to what they're already comfortable at. That's going to cause him to miss. It's like one of those guys, he, need, he needs like a, like a light contest with where his mechanics are at right now so that he doesn't have too much time. But that, that's a really tough, it's a really tough uh, line to walk um, in, in terms of shooting mechanics. So I think that one way or another, he's got to speed up that release a little bit, um, pro- probably change where he's bringing the ball up from, bring it up a little higher so that way the release isn't slow. Then we're probably talking about a, a, at least a little bit better of a shooter, not to the point where we're at 25%. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I think Nathan's spot on. Um I'm not too worried about the shot right now, but if you get in the middle of the year and he's kind of around that below 35% from deep, then you're going to probably start, you know, getting a little cold chill down your spine. It's funny while Nathan's talking, I was thinking he's going to be this guy that hypothetically finishes less than 40% from three. Everyone's going to freak out. Like, is he not a good shooter? Then he's going to have some, workout video leak during the pre-draft where he's going 84 for 100 from three and everyone's gonna be like oh look he fixed the shot he's perfect he's look at this he should be a top five pick no but just happens every year no i i I love ivy i'm a big fan i do think the fit is gonna be more fascinating when it comes to the draft than a lot of these other guys because i'm what you guys are talking about you know, Nathan brought up a good point with, and I can't believe I keep saying that on this show. It's just not like me. But it doesn't feel good, right? No, it feels weird. Like I keep saying it. And I'm like, you're right. You need to go to the hospital. But uh, no, I'm kidding, Nathan. You're a smart guy. But Nathan just brought up Phoenix, where, you know, they have Chris Paul, they have Booker. And I'm a big believer of that too, of like most championship teams have that rock solid wing that can kind of make up for what your backcourt might. They got Michael Bridges. So I think Ivy could be an off-ball guy that thrives with his outside shot comes around. But I do think the fit at the next level is going to be everything because you're going to need that guy next to him that can kind of help him out, you know, with the defensive side of the ball. Or you're going to need that point guard that, you know, Ivy doesn't have to be the primary creator for your offense. So I think you guys are spot on. I want I want the Metcalf stamp on this take. I, I want I want Tyler's opinion on this. Yeah, let's put it right back at Ty. He <laughs> well, can't I'm just putting ask it, the I'm putting this one right back in between Tyler's eyes because this, yeah, this throw was, it right back at him. You didn't see this, this one this coming. Like did you? Hot, this was like a hot buzz type thing to say for like two or three years <laughs> at one point, where it's like we look at some of these guards and we're evaluating them, and the popular thing to say is 
does this guy need to be next to a jumbo playmaker to fully succeed in the NBA? Like, does he need? Is he one of those guys? Like Metcalf? Do you think that Ivy's one of those guys? <laughs> uh, no, but I, I do think fit is going to be really important with him, and I, I think it's just more so that he he needs to be in a backcourt with someone who can reliably and consistently uh, pu- punish the defense from the outside because I, I think Ivy's good enough to of a playmaker where he can make that simple kickout pass or dump off to the big in the dunker spot. Um, but if he's with another non-shooter, then I think it's going to be incredibly easy for defenses to collapse on him more. Um, we, we've said it a couple times where – Ivy's really, really impressive getting downhill with his ball handling, his change of pace, his body control, his athleticism, all of it makes him a really dynamic scorer going downhill. And I don't think he has to be this high 30% three-point shooter in the long run, but he has to be decent enough and playing alongside someone else who is in that realm where defenses can't fully help off of them. So that opens up a few more driving lanes for Ivy and allows him to attack rotating defenses and closeouts a little. If he ends up getting paired with I pre this year, Ricky Rubio, someone of that caliber of shooter, um, then I, I think it becomes a lot harder for him to really get it. If, if that all makes sense. I can live. I can live with that answer. I can live. We went through this time where it's like, oh yeah, well if you put him next to LeBron or you put him next to Luca, it's like no shit. If you put (laughs) up next to LeBron or Luca, we're probably gonna have a chance to do something on an NBA court. Like, I I could could get at least one three a game next to those guys. I think we we could hit one shot over the course of a forty eight minute game. I would be a great teammate for Luca and LeBron because every time they pass me the ball, I'd give it right back to him. I'd say, nope, I know (laughs) how he needs you happy. He needs this right back. I'd be a great teammate. (laughs) I just hear that stuff, though, and it's like, what are we on, first take? Like, come on, let's let's go a little deeper here. Easy with the first take call out. Jeez, we're better than that. I'm going to have to figure out how to cut you completely out of this episode, but... Until then, so I, I think that's oh, a good place God, to leave it. As Nathan, I, I have a picture of me and Stephen A. Smith at University of Delaware. And I went to go see him, so stop it. I'm just kidding. Did you just humble brag us in the last part of the show? No, Unbelievable. He's dropping. He's insulting. Oh my God, this has gone off the rails. Uh, just a pod with this guy one time, and he was <laughs> incredible. So. Like every episode, we're going to end it with what's the best thing you saw this week? College, NBA, a single game, player performance streak, whatever it is. Rucker, what's the best thing you saw this week? Uh, Phoenix Suns went in 10 in a row. Started out the year 1-3. and three. They're now 11-3 and three, right behind the Warriors. I think the Warriors are getting all the buzz, but Phoenix climbing in a hurry um they're supposed to play the Warriors soon on their upcoming schedule and I was looking into their clutch stats today and I was just amazed of they've won six out of the 10 games with like close games at the end with clutch time you know it's five points within the last five minutes just unreal kind of right the ship everyone's coming Back to the surface, you know, Aiton's played great the last two games. I'm I'm excited. West is starting to heat up again. So it's going to be a fun, fun rest of the year. Nathan, what about you? 
Cole Anthony, twenty nine points, eleven assists against the Atlanta Hawks, baby. Let's let's get let's get it going. Let's get get the train keep rolling. Can can I say what's the worst thing I saw? We just Please. talked about that Milwaukee Florida game. Jesus, that was a dumpster fire, boys. I know you guys haven't watched it yet, but by the time this is out, our audience will have probably seen it. So that was the worst thing I've seen all week. I mean, I'm going to watch it tomorrow, but I might just put like a piece of paper in front of the box score or the scoreboard the whole time, just so I don't have to see that. All right, fellas. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on, giving me your time. Go ahead, plug away. Tell our lovely audience where they can find you. Nathan, do you have anything coming up? So follow me on Twitter at draft deeper. I'll have an episode coming out. Hopefully by the time this episode's up, I will do some initial rookie reactions every single Monday night to be released on Wednesdays. I record with that dude, Tyler Rucker. We go through my morning dunk column on no ceilings. And we essentially look back at what there was in college basketball and scouting. And we do a little bit of a look ahead. So keep, keep your eyes on my podcast feed for that. And the no ceiling Substack for, all of my interesting writing. Rucker, where can the people find you? I'm at uh, at Backcourt V, which is Backcourt Violation on all social media, but mainly my new home is No Ceilings NBA, and you can find us at noceilings.substack.com. We've got an incredible group of writers, including these two knuckleheads, and they are publishing fantastic content. It's free. You have no reason not to sign up. Well, once again, I'm your host, Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. And please make sure to subscribe to the No Ceilings Substack at noceilings.substack.com. And like Tyler said, follow us on Twitter at noceilingsnba. The Substack is completely free. And by the time you're listening to this, my Jabari Smith breakdown should be published on there as well. It gets direct delivered directly to your inbox. There are zero excuses not to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see you.